0: Tradition is beautiful. And I think what my brand really is about is figure out what works for you and what doesn't and be free to make those decisions. Don't be held back by the tradition or what other people tell you is important. Make those decisions for yourself.
1: Welcome to the Elizabeth Yank Show, where we explore the benefits of diverse leaders expanding your brand authority online to create massive impact and happy sales. Now let's dive in because your legendary life is waiting. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. I'm really excited to have a special guest joining us here. I'm going to introduce her and I'm going to just dive into this conversation with her today. I'd like you to meet Lillian Hung. She is the founder and CEO of Lyra Vega Bridal. I love reading bios because I think there's just something really fascinating about people's career and history. So let me just break this down. Lillian founded Lyra Vega Bridal in 2016. It is a direct-to-consumer bridal brand she created to revolutionize how brides shop for their wedding day. She leads and manages a global supply chain to support all aspects of the business and the company and has proudly maintained a return rate of under 10% in an industry where the average is 50%. That's pretty impressive. And we're going to dig in a little bit on that. Prior to starting her own business, Lillian was an event planner in the Boston area for eight years. Today, through the business, she is focused on empowering women to make smart choices with their big day rather than blindly following tradition. So welcome, Lillian. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me on the show. Where are you joining us from? I'm calling in from my home in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, awesome. So tell me a little bit about how you came up with Lyra
1: Vega Bridal. That's a really unique name for your business.
0: Yeah, to be honest, it was Google searching for a very long time and everything bridal related was taken. I didn't want to go into using my own name. And I know we'll talk a little bit about that later on. And so it started from flowers to romantic verses to (laughs) everything imaginable that I Google. And then I looked into stars and landed on the Lyra constellation. And there's actually a beautiful story in the Chinese culture. It's a love story of the Vega star, which is the brightest star in the Lyra constellation. And Lyra is the lyre in the in the sky. So it was a combination of love story and music and. The Vega star is also called the Weaving Girl star. So it just felt like everything fell in place. I'm selling dresses, the Weaving Girl, and that settled and
1: Like stars, me. obviously. I yeah. romantic. Oh, exactly. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so you mentioned in your bio that you are all about empowering women to make smart choices with their big day rather than blindly following traditions. Tell me a little bit about that. What was your vision for your bridal brand. I mean, beautiful inspiration for the name. What was that vision when you first started your business?
0: Yeah. So I started the business really out of my own frustration when I was shopping for my own wedding dress. That was six and a half, seven years ago now. I used to be an event planner, so I worked with brides all the time. And I'm pretty familiar with the whole gambit. But then when it came to my own wedding and shopping for my own wedding dresses, I just really started seeing the inconveniences of it all. So traditionally, when you shop for a wedding dress, you would search for a local boutique that you could go visit. And then you would schedule an appointment, go visit. And then depending on what the salesperson pulls out for you, you try a few things on, you maybe like it or don't like it. And I as a 21st century woman, I was just like, well, what about why can't I see what you carry before I walk in the store and be prepared for my appointment? And then there's, I don't even know how much the dresses are that you carry. And I'm going to walk into this appointment. So I ended up going on this journey, tried on 40 something dresses, didn't like anything. I was so frustrated to the point that my sister had gotten married the year before me that I asked her if I could wear her dress. If she might that I borrow her dress for my wedding. So <laughs> I tried it on and I looked good in it. She was cool with it. And I was like, okay, this is going to be my backup option. I'm just going to let myself run free and take some more risks. I personally ended up buying a wedding dress online from a vendor in Asia. And it worked out perfectly. The dress was beautiful. I felt great. And it really just ignited this idea in my head. There's a specific way to do things. And there aren't a lot of options outside of what is deemed the say yes to the dress experience. There's TV show. And I just thought that there must be other women out there that are like me that want more transparency, want more convenience in the whole process and want more options than this walk into a store blindly hoping that you could find something, being able to make more educated decisions regarding this really important purchase in your life.
1: Absolutely. So a Lyra Vega Bridal is 100% online. So what is the, the bride shopping experience like for those that are thinking about their big wedding day? What is that experience like?
0: Yeah. So it's definitely not for everyone. There is the woman that have dreamt about this experience going into a store with their posse their whole lives. <laughs> this is like not then <laughs> <Exactly>. like, <laughs> the, the moment of the big reveal, right? We really guide our brides along the way because we understand that it's an important purchase and it's a very emotional purchase for people, but we really try to educate our brides. So if you visit our website, you can sign up for our newsletter and we have this whole thread of emails that we send you over a two month period that kind of guides you step by step. So we break it down to basically is first research, you got to kind of know what you like and what you don't like. And we teach you how to do that by examining your own wardrobe and seeing what silhouettes typically look better on you and being able to look in that direction, looking at some of your past dress applications, whether it's prom or attending other weddings. When you dress up, what makes you feel good? Do you like lace? Do you like flowy material, pulling those little pieces of data to yeah. help you get to a better place to research because we all know the world that is Pinterest and the black hole that it is and how you could go on and type in wedding dress. And then it's just fear forever gone in there and never <laughs> <laughs> come back out. Yeah.
1: So, yeah but- or just that fear that you're going to order something that looks really great on that supermodel, but yes. then get that outfit and looks nothing like that material quality everything yeah, yeah. so wow. we
0: really can guide our brides step by step into making those decisions so starting from research starting from trying silhouettes on whether that's in store or at different places then Coordinating that with your wedding vision. So wherever you're getting married, does it fit the style of the rest of the decor? And then finally making the decision. So it's a lot of envisioning and it's a lot of data collection. And again, making that educated decision. Of, it's not my first time to put on a dress. So I have some stuff that I can think about and to get ideas from.
1: I love that. So it's a very high touch Handholding, holding personalized experience to really understand from the bride what they need even though it's a virtual online experience and that explains why your return rate is well under 10 percent in an industry where the average is 50 percent that's really amazing so definitely a, a metric worth
0: being proud of oh thank okay. you I think the piece about that that's really unique about us is we do made to measure. So most online vendors, if you go into a boutique and buy a wedding dress, it's basically the dresses are sized to the standard. So two, four, six, eight, ten, 10, up to 20 something or whatever it is. And then when you go into the store, they fit you to the closest size, just like you would when you do any kind of online shopping. I'm closest to a medium or I'm closest to a large, so I'm going to order that. And then that's why there's a huge tailoring process that happens after you receive the dress because the dress doesn't actually fit you. It just fits closest to you, right? My whole reason to eliminate that and do made to measure is because that was a really inconvenient part for me. I'm spending $1,000, $2,000 on this dress. You're going to, you're telling me I still need to budget three to 500 more. <laughs> than it, it was just so absurd to me. That was one of those things that I really wanted to make sure it was just like, we're going to make this dress as close to the body as possible. And we're going to ensure that it will look good on our brides in terms of fit and they don't have to worry more about, okay, I finally received my dress. And then now I'm going to go to a tailor. I think that really helps with our return rate because we do walk with our bride the whole way. And it's also as much or as little help as you need. Some brides, they just know and they come, they order their dress. They don't even want to talk to me. I reach out and I say, how can I help? Do you have any questions? They're just now I'm ready to go and they're happy. So we offer that really custom experience. If you need a lot of help, we're here for you. If you need no help, we're good to go as well. So I love the fact that
1: you factor in that pain of the tailor and is this tailor going to mess up on my dress? And do they have the experience to touch my wedding gown? Cause I've already invested thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. into this. So it is truly custom made to order is what I'm hearing.
0: It's made to measure. I so it matter. makes okay. for your body. Made to order typically, oh, I get to pick the fabric and I get to pick the different details. We don't typically do that. We'll do minor customizations Some brides. So they'll like this dress. Can I add a sleeve to it? Like that kind of stuff we'll do. But we don't build a dress from scratch for brides. I love it. So it's custom made to measure is yes. what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love that.
1: So here in the show, I'm all about how can we get more representation into the marketplace? How can experts stop being the best kept secret in town? One of the reasons why I have you here was Lillian and I actually met at an Asian women networking event a few years ago. Oh my gosh, it goes by so fast. (laughs) I have to share this story with you because... It really inspired me to catapult and grow my business to where it is today. And Lillian's story has often been the story, and I was sharing this with you too, Lillian, that every time, and many of us go through this, where you're facing some hard decision in your business and you're like, what do I do? Do I quit? What do I do? Lillian's story was one of those stories where I remember, and I'll let you share this in a little bit, but I want to tell audiences this because It was so powerful. And I remember in the audience, you were one of three amazing women who was sharing their story. Lillian shared her story about how she launched her brand without her name or face associated with it. Because in so many words, quote, you didn't want your brand to be associated with cheap quality made in China. And I just remember sitting there and thinking, wow. Three years of a brand without a name or a face, I don't even know how that's even possible. I remember when I was at a critical play in my business where I was like, Elizabeth, you're doing the business coaching, you're doing the business consulting. There's so many things that you can do with your experience. What's your why? I remember your story coming back to me and it was your why, Elizabeth, is to help Not only get representation in the marketplace, but business owners like Lillian's story to stop being the best kept secret in town and to truly be visible, especially, especially in the online space. I share this with you about how it really catapulted and shifted my business because of your story. I was like, women like Lillian, people who for whatever reason are being invisible. What do I need to do to support business owners like Lillian so that she's seen and heard and well-paid and really is in the online space to represent. I wanted to reconnect and share that story with you because it's been so many years since we've had that panel. I mean, what thoughts were going through your head when I shared that aha moment that you were my inspiration in growing my business? What were some of the thoughts that were going through your head when you heard that story?
0: Yeah, I am so honored and flattered (laughs) to have made such an impact on someone else's business and life. I really never imagined that little piece of my story would resonate so much to even be a driving force for you. I just want to say thank you so much for thinking of me so much. Over <laughs> <the years. laughs> well, like, it's it's not just inspiration. right? I mean, that just goes to show, right? Because sometimes the little things that you don't even think twice about ends up being an aha moment for other people. I so appreciate your podcast and you interviewing other people and just letting people share their stories because you really never know where Something that you experienced in your journey could touch another person. It really has been such an inspiration for me that you took that and is building upon something that I went through and now helping more people grow their businesses, have more visibility. I think for me, as I was reflecting on what you shared with me, I think at the end of the day, it. Probably comes down to being able to be authentic even in your own business, right? In the beginning, when I was hiding behind my brand name, I didn't even dare show a picture of my hand sorting the dress in fear that people would discover that I'm Asian as the business owner of there. I'm just not really being my whole self in my business. Or I was being my whole self as I'm building the business, but there's a veil that I'm hiding behind and I'm limiting myself from the level that I could grow and develop to. I
1: think your story is so powerful because sometimes we think, oh, it's mindset and we just need to do this and do that. And just mindset, it's sales mindset, it's money mindset. But what really resonated with me is that a lot of people that are not minorities or a person of color, race, ethnicity does impact our decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's very subtle. It's not blaring in your face It's like, I can't do this because I'm Asian or I'm black. But over the years of my business, I've talked to black women who are trauma coaches and they've come to me because there's just not a lot of women of color business coaches or consultants or strategists. They've asked questions like, Elizabeth, do you think white women would really buy from someone like me? And mm-hmm. logically I'm like, yeah. Look at Oprah (laughs) and Beyonce, aren't they making millions? But the reality is that our own internal experiences of call it discrimination or racism or just limiting beliefs even, it does sort of put a taint or a veil on how we're showing up in our business the way that you described. Part of this podcast really wants to explore these type of conversations because I really don't think that people are really talking about them. When it comes to our business, when it comes to sales, people want to talk about it like, There is no color. There is none of that. But the reality is we all have blind spots. Mm -hmm. And I want to just dig a little bit deeper. What were you going through at that time when you were making those decisions? When Mm -hmm. you naming your business and you didn't want to associate your name with it. But I think the value of sharing your journey, because I'm really passionate about more visibility of representation in the marketplace. What were some of the things you were going through in your head
0: when you were just trying to make that decision? Well, when I first started, I think you touched upon it quickly. I really didn't want to be associated with the idea of being made in China because there are a lot of low-quality vendors out there, illegitimate website scams that are based in China. I was just really afraid that the moment that I showed my face or people saw my last name associated with the business, that they would think, oh, this is another one of them. It would really discount my brand. So for the longest time, I just didn't, slap my own name on it. The logic behind it is there are plenty of successful businesses where there isn't a face behind the brand. I'm in the direct-to-consumer market, so names like Warby Parker, Casper Mattresses, those things pop in mind. I don't know who their founder is. Like Their founder's on the face of their page every day. I got this and just build the brand. It's okay. I can't speak for Warby and I can't speak for Casper. But for me, I think because bridal is such a personal decision that there is a bit of a disconnect because I wasn't able to connect with my customers in that way, especially where when I made this switch and I finally stood in front of the camera and shared my journey, shared my story, why I started the business It really touched people. And brides would come to me and tell me, I so appreciate your efforts. And they really ended up buying me instead of the concept. That was my misconception. I really had to overcome the quality thing. I really had to gain confidence in knowing that what I offer is really valuable before I can really silence those voices. Oh, but what if? It just really having to decide for myself. I just have to stand behind what I offer and know that it is good and I can't control what other people think. But I know that I will never let one low quality piece of clothing exit my store. And so that's not something I can worry about.
1: Yeah. What were some of the... Voices that were coming up with you before you finally made that decision to step up in your visibility and share your
0: story. So, in the beginning, my brand now looks very different from what it was in the beginning. I was trying to be a beautiful bridal brand in the beginning. So, my website was soft colors, beautiful handwritten fonts. My logo was a soft pink, watercolored calligraphy. It's all great. But in a big ocean of bridal brand, it didn't stand out. I realized I was saying that I want to break tradition for brides, but in my branding, I wasn't doing that. In my branding, I just wanted to fit in. And I think a lot of that also comes from being an Asian American woman and wanting to fit into white culture, right? And so powerful. I
1: love love (laughs) what you said that, Lillian, because you realized that you wanted to break tradition, but- Instead, you were just trying to fit in. And so tell me more about your Asian tradition of where you really saw that sort of start to show up with trying to
0: fit in. I think that's a lifelong thing, right? I moved to, I feel like we're digging so deep. You're like my therapist now. I moved to the United States. States when I was 15 in high school. So those are really formative years. And I didn't want to be the person that's from a different country. I All I, mean, I want, don't want to stand out. They want to be exactly.
1: normal. Be right? so. normal, even though obviously you look different, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I did move to a very white town. And so all my efforts were just about not standing out and being liked. And All of it. As I grew, as I went to college and came out and worked and worked with clients, you slowly grow out of that a little bit and find your own identity. But some of this stuff, like you said earlier, it's so subtle. You don't even know you're doing it. So for me, it's almost like I'm entering a new world again, right? It's a high school experience moving to a different country. Me having worked as an event planner in hospitality for almost a decade and entering into bridal is like entering a new world. And so, again, I want to stay competitive. I want to be the same as other people, but a little better. And so I think that directed a lot of my decisions in the beginning, where I'm looking at the major publications, what are other people doing? Okay, this is the popular style of how to put things together and present it. So let's follow this way. But it really wasn't until a couple years into the business when I realized what a hypocrisy it was. And I was like, I'm going to revolutionize the bridal industry. And then I'm like, okay, what is everyone else doing? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not saying tradition is not good. Tradition is beautiful. And I think what my brand really is about is figure out what works for you and what doesn't and be free to make those decisions. Don't be held back the tradition or what other people tell you is important. Make those decisions for yourself. And that's why my brand is so focused on educating brides, because that's the first time people are getting married, right? They've never bought a wedding dress before. They've never gone down this journey before. And so really educating people and saying empowering women to be able to understand, okay, this is why I need this. So maybe I don't need it because I don't have that purpose to serve. That's when I really started infusing more modern fonts, really bold colors into my branding. On the dresses side, keeping it to be really timeless and classic.
1: Well, I think it's so important that I often talk about, I was born here in the US, very mainstream Westernized, but also being an Asian woman, still very much in Asian, long patriarchal Eastern sort of Southeast Asian culture. I love what you said there because it is very subtle. And for example, even when I started my business, the way that I was raised as the woman was that we would orchestrate the family events behind the scenes. And as a good daughter, to be a good daughter-in-law, it was the ability to orchestrate these events without being seen. You see, Behind the scenes, you're cooking wow. for 100 people and you can put food on the table for the men and they eat first. And then you've got to make sure that everything is perfect in the kitchen, but you can't be loud or be seen. You're behind the scenes orchestrating this. I would see my mom being the one orchestrating this and having all the different housewives come and helping her cook and clean and all of this. And The event was considered successful because like amazing food, but none of the women were seen. And in my business, to me, that was the aha moment where I was like, I'm just not comfortable being Being in front of the camera. I feel braggy. I feel, you know, da-da-da. And it was really that moment where I was like, I've been raised to be effective orchestrating from behind the scenes. And that success was being invisible, but still putting on the show. Yeah. And I think that the story that you shared, or even my own story, it's so important for us as entrepreneurs and business owners to, I love what you said about being authentic, is to realize those, I know what the right word is, it's almost just this nagging feeling of, Am I being authentic? What doesn't sit well with me? Something feels off. I can't quite pinpoint what it is, but it doesn't feel authentic. And for you, it was when you were like, hey, am I being a hypocrite here with my own brand? Breaking traditions, yet I was trying to fit in. And for me, it was exactly the same thing because I was like, my mission is to get representation into the marketplace <laughs> online. And then yet I didn't want to be on camera online. <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute, I can't do that. Because to your point, people buy you first, especially when you're starting up a business, they buy you first before they buy anything else that you mm-hmm. sell. And that's why I remember sitting in the audience when you told your story. And at the time, it was probably a year or two into my business. Three years? I do not think, yeah, that's possible. I had to sell myself bumper. I could get any of my clients. I can't imagine doing that for three years. So I really, really appreciated that insight. Really, I think this is such a critical, so deep, I know we're going really deep, but Oftentimes as entrepreneurs, when we're thinking about mindset and we're thinking about all of this, we forget that our upbringing or our own cultural upbringing or some of these things are so subtle and they kind of creep in. And we need to be surrounded by other amazing entrepreneurs, women of color, for us it was Asian women entrepreneurs, just other people to kind of shine light. And I love what you said. It was through your story where it shined a light where I was like, wait a minute, that was a blind spot for me. I didn't even notice it until I heard Bluian's story. And I think that's truly the power of community and the power of us showing and sharing our stories. For you, what was that point when you were finally, you know what, I'm going to share my story. I'm
0: going to step up in my visibility and start sharing this. It's so funny that you brought community up because that Mm -hmm. is exactly what pushed me was uh, people within my community were like, Lillian, why won't you just do it? Just do it. <laughs> and it, helped. Yes. it took so many people to over and over tell me, Lillian, you should just step in front of the camera. There's nothing to fear. And over and over again, and it finally, all those voices come together. I realized I have to take this step and it can start small. For me, it started as putting my picture on my website. I didn't start doing a video production every week or anything like that, but gradually it just really helped me see how the more I'm willing to be present in my brand, the more I actually feel connected to it in a deeper way. It's almost like having more skin in the game. It's weird to say because I was a solopreneur, I had all my skin in the game. Prior to putting my face on the brand, but you're just more committed. <laughs> so you're like, wait, my face is
1: literally next to the brand. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you feel? Most people would be like, they would feel so vulnerable mm-hmm. finally doing that. Did that come up for you as well, too?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it's still not an easy thing, to be honest, to this day. I still remember it's a 15 second story on Instagram, right? Could take hours to record because I know I'm very critical of myself. I know a lot of entrepreneurs are their harshest critic. I also know a lot of entrepreneurs are control freaks <laughs> like myself. But For me, it actually wasn't an exercise of letting go. And Being comfortable with not being perfect. I think the beauty of some of the social media stuff right now, Instagram stories or other things, there is a benefit to it, to it being fleeting. There are things that stay forever. Like a post or a tweet, but there are also things that will go away after 24 again. hours. Yeah, at least to the public. Someone like screenshots you and record yeah. everything. Those fleeting places are really good places to start and exercise. I'm just gonna try. I'm gonna try this for one day and see how it goes, and you grow gradually from there and practice and get better over time. Nobody stands in front of a camera their first day and is a star.
1: It's so hard. People are like, "Elizabeth, you're so natural on camera," and I never thought of myself that way. And I remember, I was trying to do pre-recorded videos, and Mm -hmm. I would record it over and over and over again until the point where you're like, "Hi, I'm so exhausting." Yeah, Yeah. like (laughs) you just have no enthusiasm or (laughs) sort of anything. You're just reading off the script, and I was like. That is so not me. So finally, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to go live and I'll just screw it. i us just yeah, go yeah. live and see what happens. Even to this day, I do better just going live because I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to go live. Whatever it's going to be, it's just yeah. going to be. Pre-recording is where for me, at least the perfectionism steps in because you by yourself and you're in your head and you're like, wait, I can stop and re-record and re-edit. Mm-hmm. So everyone is, I love what you said, it's knowing where you're at and just finding somewhere that you're comfortable to
0: start, but at least get started. Yeah, definitely get started.
1: For you, what were some of the results that you started to experience when you finally started to put yourself out there? You finally started to share your story and was a lot more visible. What were some of the things that you were saying for yourself or even for your business?
0: Once I started doing that, the community really came in. When I first started those first few years, again, this might just be subtle and internal and it was on the background. But in the beginning, when I started the brand, I really stuck to being online. And I really, even in my personal networking, didn't step out that much to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there was a hidden fear that it's going to all come back and that I would have to step out. I don't know. but. It all happened when I started being more seen on my brand. Then I started networking more. I started building a community of entrepreneurs that I can trust and lean on and have fun with and go to things like the panel that we were at. And all that energy really helps you go to the next level. I think a lot of your audiences are solopreneurs. When you're just yourself, even the most talented person gets stuck. Even the smartest person don't have answers. And even the most optimistic person could fall into a place where they're just distraught and discouraged. So it really is so important to have a community of people that can help you out, speak to you, encourage you, grab a drink with you. Just all those people to be able to walk that journey with you Beyond your own family and friends, because family and friends don't really understand the entrepreneur journey, even if they <laughs> are like right there with you daily. They just don't get it fully unless it's someone that really has lived through it. That's kind of what happened. And so the community really came in, and my brand got to a place where I was like, this is it. You know how when you land on an idea and you've been mulling over it or you've been drafting and tweaking it forever, and then one day you're just like, oh, I got it. This is it. I had talked about the rebranding and everything. It all came together. And I was just like, this is it. This is the brand. This is so who you Now you're yeah. like,
1: this is it. This is it. Right. I love um, what you said there because we all know an entrepreneur that Our mindset is 100% everything with our success. Mm -hmm. But I think oftentimes people think that your mindset is just you. And to your point earlier, if you're by yourself as a solopreneur, you're in your head a lot, right? So you're having these conversations, these voices or limiting beliefs or whatever you want to call them are going to come up. That's what impacts your mindset. What I heard from you is how powerful and how important community is, because Mm -hmm. that's why I call your circle of influence that really inspires, influences guess what? Your mindset, whether it's an insight that they shared with you, or it's their journey that gives you idea or inspiration or motivation. Or in our case, me hearing your story really shine the light on, wow, this is my blind spot. And I didn't even really think of that story beyond, oh, Lillian is amazing until maybe a year or so later. And I was at my journey and my intersection of my business. And your story was one of where I was like, that's what I'm all about. That's what I'm all about is how can I support women like Lillian or people of color or people of other like Lillian just get out sooner. So they don't wait three years. (laughs) They don't wait three years, right? (laughs) I love what you said about that because even right now in my business, you know exactly what you mean. It wasn't just a rebranding. It was kind of for me, it's been more, this is my business model. Feels good. This feels just right. This feels yeah. like everything that I want. I didn't know it was going to be this way. I had no idea what the details look like, kind of like the outside of the car. But once you're kind of get to a point where you're able to lift up the hood and yeah, that feels mm-hmm. good. That's so powerful that you finally got there with your brand. When you look back on your experience, What's your best advice for those that are local and they're, hey, it's time to maybe stop being the best kept secret in your local town. How can you
0: step up and be visible? What would be your best advice to them? It's a little tricky for me to answer that question because I launched as a national brand right away. I don't know that I was ever a local best kept secret, but I definitely actually market our brand as the best kept secret in the bridal industry, just because that we're not like a David's bridal or a beholden where everybody knows our name. Right. I think for me personally, it really again is networking and it's networking beyond your circle that you're comfortable with. I think as solopreneurs, we always have to challenge ourselves to reach outside just a little bit and keep expanding that circle. As an event planner, I was really comfortable with the Boston Circle. And so those were the resources I tapped early on in my business as a bridal brand, doing styled shoots locally with vendors that I'm familiar with, have relationships with, and just sticking in that realm. And then it later on realizing, oh, if I want to be larger than just the Boston circle, even though I say I'm a national brand, then I have to start shooting with different people in other locations.
1: That's what makes you (laughs) national and not just Yeah.
0: And it, it can be scary to reach out to people that you don't know people that you know, are far away. But what I'm found. Of course, rejection is really difficult and there will be rejection if you do do outreach, but it pays off and I've had my dresses shot in so many amazing locations with people I've never met in real life. Online tools are so powerful these days. Facebook groups, Instagram, there are so many ways to discover people beyond your circle. As a bridal fashion brand, collaborations that are so valuable for me to have a greater reach, both in reaching other vendors that are talented and align in the ethos of how I do things, but as well as reaching more customers that are beyond my immediate circle here. Mm-hmm. Networking is huge. And I love what you said
1: there. I mean, it goes back to your own comfort zone or your own mindset of, hey, this is my vision. I want to be a national brand. Am I living up to that? Or my decisions as the founder and CEO of my business, reflective of my vision for that. And I love how you challenged yourself to do that, even though it was uncomfortable in the beginning. When you think about your business journey so far, is there anything that you wish you would have known or maybe would go back and do differently for yourself, Lillian?
0: I think knowing how the solopreneur journey is really a journey. In the beginning, I set out to be an overnight sensation. I remember when I was going to launch the website, I was so nervous that I limited my inventory to a certain level because I was just like, oh my gosh, the moment it goes live, it's going to be the floodgates and I'm going to Oh be my like, gosh, it's yeah. like, I'm on a
1: cube, a yeah. orders coming <laughs> <out> in, like, <laughs> in <a> dream, right?
0: <laughs> And, and of course the first day, nothing happened, right? The first week, nothing happened. And so I think I would just tell myself to not be so afraid. I would tell myself to not be afraid to be bold in what I do. And I think that's the beauty, like the beauty of being an entrepreneur or a small business owner is that you're not Facebook and your every move is not going to affect millions of people. And honestly, especially in those earlier days, nobody really cares. And if someone <laughs> no really didn't care that much, that's great because that's feedback that you can take and implement right away. Well, I want to about that because often <laughs> clients come to me, they're
1: like, I have this Facebook group, but I haven't gone live. And what do I say when I go back on the live? And I'm like, you just pretend you never left. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you mean. I'm like, I hate to break this to you, but I'm sure your people like you, but honestly, they probably didn't even notice you were gone for two weeks. So don't give yourself too much hype. Jump back on. Don't even mention that you're gone or apologize. Pretend like you never left. And they're like, that's it? I'm like, that's it. Because you're right. It's like, we notice when we're not there. But mm-hmm. not that our audience doesn't notice this, but there's just so many different things happening. Like right. I often tell my clients, your biggest competition is not your competitor. Your biggest competition is Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. The biggest competition <laughs> yeah. is the great weather outside and everyone's wanting to be outside. Right. Like <laughs> Competition. It's not your competitors. Don't obsess about what your competitors are doing. So I really love that advice, just being bold and going for it. And so funny about you're like, oh my God, what if my inventory blows up? What if yeah. it <laughs> never <laughs> happened? <laughs> it's so important that you share that advice because I think sometimes when entrepreneurs think about their business, they really define success as sales or revenue or a certain financial milestone. And I remember saying to my clients, "Look, like sales is an effect. You are the cause. Your business can't outgrow you. You're the cause. There's gonna be so many things you're doing, whether it's learning something new, getting outside your comfort zone, working on your mindset, all of these things, balancing life, whatever it is, you have to figure that out. And then eventually the sales is an effect. It'll eventually come. But it's not. Your success is only that one, moment when you become that overnight success or whatever that is, however people are defining. And that's what I really appreciate about you, Lillian, is that when I heard your story, it was like, you really wanted to build your business in a meaningful way. At least my impression was that it's not that you didn't know what you needed to do, being that you were in the event planning industry for nearly a decade, or that you were very familiar with Bridal, but it also was really important that you built your business in a way that felt authentic and meaningful to you. That requires us to slow down a little bit. And so there's different seasons to our business. That's a part where a lot of people don't talk about, because I'm very much that way too, where I don't want to say I slowed down, but this doesn't quite feel ready. I don't think you ever feel ready, but it's just, I need this to feel at least somewhat authentic before I can move forward mm-hmm. I and mean, call it intuition, call it your values or whatever <laughs> it is. It's so important to show up and feel mm-hmm.
0: like, yeah. I'm all in. I got skin in the gate. We live in a world where we are told to fake it till you make it every day. And I hate that. yeah, I think that's right. That <laughs> everything from even our Instagram posts of our own daily lives. And people post their vacation photos, but not them at home working. And it's just the society that we live in. And it's the culture that we are unfortunately in. And it's so important for me to not be driven by that. And because it's a never ending chase and it's so cliche to say work life balance is important, but your personal health, your mental health is so tied to how your business can thrive or not thrive. And it is totally okay to just assess the season that you're in and plan accordingly. And it's important as a business owner to consider the health of your business and where things are with that and to make sure that plans are feeding into future success, but also where are you in your capacity and what you can do so that you can continue to support the business. It's huge. And I love that you said earlier,
1: building a brand, especially in the bridal business, it take, just takes time. Brand building takes time. So key for those that are watching or listening to hear that. So as we begin to wrap up, what's the best way to connect with you online? Where can they find you?
0: Yeah, Instagram is probably the easiest. We are on Instagram as Lyra Vega Bridal, so that should be pretty easy. Well, thank you so much, Lillian, for joining us here
1: today on the show. I am so thrilled that you were willing to come back and let us tell our story because it goes back. I love what you said about community. I think sometimes You don't really know what you need in those moments, but it's really in our own solopreneur journey that we began to draw inspiration or draw these moments that really help us get clarity with what do we do next? And you just never know whose story really makes an impact on you, like your story made to me. I'm just so honored that you were like, okay, let's do this. Let's get on this (laughs) podcast show. And you think my story will be helpful. Let's do that because- I've said to you before, you're one of the reasons why I am so passionate and committed to what I'm doing, because I was like, I don't want someone like Lillian to wait three years (laughs) to be visible with her brand. How can I support her and show up with my own gift to help her find the courage or whatever it is that she needs to really step into that visibility, not just to grow her business, but most importantly to grow her truth and her authenticity in a way that creates a meaningful business for her. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being a guest on the show today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And it makes me so honored to know that my story has touched you and my story continues to live on through your business. It's just such an honor. Thank you for having me. Elizabeth. Absolutely.
1: All right. So we'll catch you next time on the show. If you are leaving this episode feeling inspired to uplevel online and make happy sales happen, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Now go out and take those steps to build your legendary life.